NPR. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darian Woods. And I'm Paddy Hirsch. The high seas are those waters far from shore, 200 nautical miles, in fact, from shore, that are not governed by any country. Under international law, everyone shares them, but no one owns them, and no one has responsibility for them. That sounds like a nautical riddle. (laughs) What is owned by nobody, but everybody shares? The high seas. That's right. And this, of course, means that anyone can use the high seas, and pretty much anyone can abuse them, too. But after five years of negotiations, United Nations member states have finally come to an agreement about how the resources offered by the high seas should be shared. The accord has the very multilateral diplomacy name, (laughs) Biodiversity Beyond National Jurisdiction Agreement. Yeah, we'll use BBNJ for short. Nearly 200 have endorsed the treaty. And no wonder the high seas offer an enormous economic opportunity. Yeah, the big ones are fishing and mining. On the fish front, as we have depleted stocks of species like cod and tuna in various coastal zones, companies are now looking to the high seas to plug the gap. And in mining, extraction companies are excited about possible repositories of valuable minerals like polymetallic nodules used to make batteries. These things might lie under the seabed. So there's pots of money to be made, and consumers could benefit in a big way. But if the high seas turn into an unmanaged free-for-all, they could be wrecked by pollution and overconsumption. On today's show, we're going to look at the BBNJ Accord, and we're going to find out what the economic and environmental stakes are on the high seas. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com indicator. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. The High Seas It might make you think of pirates and freak waves and giant octopi, but it's actually a technical term. The high seas is, in common parlance, the part of the ocean that is more than 200 nautical miles from coastlines. That's Simi Payne. She's a professor at Rutgers University in New Jersey. She's also the, wait for it, chair of the International Union for Conservation of Nature's Ocean Law Specialist Group. You have to take a deep breath every time you introduce yourself. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And it basically means that she knows a lot about the law of the sea and about the high seas in particular. She says that the high seas are a global commons, meaning they belong to every country on Earth, even those that don't have a coastline. The concept of the global commons of the high seas is that every country on Earth has interests, rights, and duties with respect to it. So Switzerland could undertake activities there. Even Nepal, a Himalayan country, has rights to access some of the benefits and those resources. Because the high seas have always been a commons since the beginning of time, anyone's been able to do pretty much anything that they wanted in them. Fish, sail, drill, sunbathe, whatever. And in the past, This was never really an issue, right? The high seas were so wild and so inaccessible that it didn't really matter that no one was in charge because not much went on out there. 
But over the last few years, more and more people have been doing stuff in the high seas. They've been exploiting the resources available in the oceans, often without regard for anyone else or for the oceans themselves. And that has raised a flag in one particular area already. The ancient human tradition of taking fish from the ocean with modern technology has become quite destructive in some places. Most of the high seas fishing fleet uses long lines, which tangle marine life like turtles and damaged reefs. But some countries are also sending out trawlers, which are even more destructive as they drag their nets along the ocean floor, ripping up coral and other parts of the seabed. The high seas are still inaccessible enough that only a handful of countries send their fleets all the way out there. The architects of the BBNJ Accord have one eye on the past, at the way that humans fished stocks of cod almost to extinction in the North Atlantic in the 1980s and the 1990s. And Simi says it's not just fish that they're worried about. There's a lot of other potential for human activities in the ocean if they're left unmanaged to become very destructive rather than productive. One activity that hasn't begun yet but is about to is deep seabed mining. The prospect of being able to mine the deep sea is thrilling to extraction companies, some of whom have already identified vast swaths of the ocean floor to exploit. Yeah, their hope is that they'll find minerals that could be used in a variety of applications, including making batteries for smartphones and other electronics. Their plan is to scrape the seabed with enormous undersea machines, a technique that critics like Simi say would be enormously destructive. As one might imagine, if you're mining the deep seabed, you are essentially removing the, all the ecology that's there and causing pollution in the water column. Now, the high seas are not a total free-for-all. In 1982, the United Nations took a shot at finding a way to co-parent them with an accord called the Law of the Sea. Almost every country in the world embraced it. The U.S., however, did not. The U.S. and Turkey were the only ones of the G20 group of wealthy nations not to ratify the deal. Simi says that's just one of the factors that makes the current law somewhat toothless. International law in terms of managing the high seas, is very much like a fishing net, sometimes with a fine mesh, but with very large holes in it. (laughs) Simi says that this new accord should plug some of those holes, or at least stitch some of them up. And she thinks that there are a number of reasons why the US will be motivated to sign on to this new agreement. There's increased public pressure on the government to take care of the environment, for one thing. And there's the advantage that comes from having a seat at the table when decisions are made. And then, of course, there are the hardcore business benefits. In order to sell into global markets, certain countries have certain rules. An easy example is U.S. regulations on import of tuna that's been um, captured using certain techniques that might be harmful to dolphins. So countries have concerns like that. So by participating in a global uh, regulatory program or a a global agreement, then it's more likely that your products will be acceptable. The high seas look to corporations a lot like the wide open spaces of the Western American continent might have appeared to European settlers in the mid to late 1800s, you know, teeming with life and land and resources ripe for cultivation and exploitation. The BBNJ agreement is supposed to strike the balance between conservation and exploitation that no one was really thinking about that much back then. 
the environmental assessment part of it would address when a new activity is proposed, what are the consequences of that? And this sounds great for the environment, of course, but Simi says this should be good for business too, because if a resource is overexploited, then it can become depleted and maybe even destroyed altogether. Ideally, she says, the BBNJ agreement will preserve the food and mineral resources in the high seas for all of our use so that we can all get the most out of them, hopefully forever. That's the sweet spot. It's the combination of finding commercial interests and public interests that intersect. Yeah, and while a corporation might chafe at restrictions on their ability to mine or fish or whatever they might want to do in the open ocean, Simi says that most businesses appreciate a strong legal framework that both protects them and empowers them. Business people want to know that they've got a level playing field and that there's some certainty there. And that's what this regulatory environment can offer. The high seas offer humankind tremendous opportunities in a wide range of areas, in food and energy and medicine. And they're becoming more attractive to business because it's getting easier to reach them these days. We used the word for a shared resource earlier, a commons. But there's a problem with commons. They're prone to tragedy. The authors of the BBNJ agreement know this. They can see how the high seas could become a prime example of a tragedy of the commons. That is, if it isn't already. This episode was produced by Noah Glick with engineering from Catherine Silver. Sierra Juarez and Dylan Sloan check the facts. Viet Leia is our senior producer. Kate Cannon edits the show. And The Indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, American Express. Take your business further with the smart and flexible Amex Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits that help unlock more value from your business purchases. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Your employees are more than your coworkers. They're the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers modern group benefits designed to protect employees and their families with dental, vision, life, and disability coverage. Humana knows every employee and every business is unique. That's why they listen to your needs and build plans with you and your team in mind. That's the power of human care. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.